passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you. Today we are starting our, Chris, our Christmas series. It's called Good News of, of Great Joy. And we're going to be looking at the significance of Jesus' birth. And just so you know, we're going to do this series a little differently. We're going to be rotating the pastors through the pulpits. While I'm preaching the first week in the series here, Pastor Jordan and I are switching next week. So he'll be up here and I'll be in Spencer preaching down there. The following week, Pastor Chris will be preaching here. And then Pastor Stephen, who's our family ministries pastor in Spencer, will be preaching on the Spencer campus. And folks, right after that, we are already into Christmas Eve. And that'll be a Saturday night. It's at 5.30. We'll have one service. If you've been to our Christmas Eve services, they're a wonderful time of celebration. Really exciting. Uh, not a lot of message that night, but a lot of celebration of Jesus' birth. Then the next day is Sunday, which is Christmas morning. Just so you know, we are not going to be, we're going to not have a service here on Christmas morning. So you can be home with your families and we just have that service Saturday night, a few hours beforehand. And Pastor Jordan and I will be sending home sort of a, a brief and fun devotional video for you guys on Christmas morning, if that's something you'd like to take advantage of. Um, this morning, as we turn our thoughts to Jesus, we're going to turn to a question that always stumped me when I was a kid. You know, we celebrate Jesus' birth in Bethlehem on Christmas. But like, what was Jesus doing before that? Like, where was Jesus in the Old Testament? And I kept thinking, maybe Jesus was like me on the sidelines for sports games, begging the coach, oh, please put me in. Please let, give me a play. I can do something. Is that what Jesus was doing? And God the Father finally blew the whistle and said, okay, we'll bring Jesus in for this play. He can do the birth in Bethlehem thing. I mean, is that what it was like? Was Jesus anywhere in the Old Testament? And if he was in the Old Testament, uh, what was he doing? Well, I have to tell you, if I was, I've researched that question extensively over my life. And if I was to tell you all that Jesus was doing before Bethlehem, you would be here until Christmas for me to finish that sermon. We're not going to do that. But I will tell you just two little things that Jesus was doing before Bethlehem. Just little, casual, small things. That Jesus is the creator of all things that exist. And he, even today, is the sustainer of everything at every moment. I told you he wasn't busy at all. <laughs> of course he was. He was incredibly busy doing so many things. So if you have your outlines, take them out. We'll start right at the top. What was Jesus doing before Bethlehem? Jesus is the creator of all things, the scripture tells us. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been studying 1 Samuel, and we've been looking at David. And as you know, David was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, I'm sure he spent many nights with the sheep, out in the field, laying on his back, staring up at the stars in the middle of the night, looking at the beauty of the stars and the vastness of space. And he wondered all the time about the God who made all those things. And then as time went on and God revealed things to him and the Holy Spirit inspired him, he wrote this uh, about those stars. This is under the stars of the night sky are uncountable. <coughs> the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. When David looked at the magnificence of the night sky, he said that is a universal testimony to everyone, everywhere, of the greatness of God and the glory of God. I mean, isn't that true? When you look at the sky at night, doesn't God feel big and don't you feel small? Anybody? First service said amen to that one. Yeah, of course. God feels incredibly big. Now, here is the problem with that. Just so you know, scientists tell us that the human eye is only able to see roughly around 4,000 stars in the night sky. But scientists who are astronomers, that have those big telescopes, those massive telescopes, that they can see a lot more that we cannot see with our eyes. They tell us that in the night skies, there is 10 million billion billion stars shining down on us. That is 10 with 25 zeros after it. And Maybe the way to estimate that, that is about the same number of grains of sand is, in, is in, on the entire earth. You know, if you were to count the stars at the rate of 20 per second, do you know how long it would take you to count all of the stars in the night sky? Approximately 100 million billion years. Then you'd finally get them all counted. And incidentally, I should mention to you that these are only the stars that we can currently see with the current power of our telescopes. As technology advances and we get more powerful telescopes, guess what's going to happen to the number of stars that are out there? It'll just keep going up. And what is fascinating about all this is that God knows all about these and the Bible tells us that God has actually named each one of them. Realize that? Psalm 147, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars, and he gives to all of them their names. In the same way that Adam named the animals in Genesis chapter 20, God named the stars based on their particular characteristics and their purposes. God has a purpose for each star. Do you realize that? We may not know what that is, but that star will one day be revealed in God's good timing. Now, we stand in awe at the number of stars that we see in the night sky and how God knows each one of them and how God names each one of them and God has a purpose for each one of them. But even more amazing than the number of stars that are in the night sky is the vast size of the universe within which these stars exist. This is the next point. The size of the universe is literally unfathomable. I'll start just in our own solar system, just by looking at our own sun. When you look at the sun, it doesn't look too awfully big, does it? It actually is incredibly big. If you were to bore a hole in the side of the sun, do you realize you could put inside of it 1.2 million planets the size of planet Earth? 
and then still have room additionally for another 4.3 million moons to go in addition to that. That is how huge our sun is. Here's a graphic that shows this. Uh, that's the sun. Is that little speck up there? That's us. You ever seen those You Are Here posters? That's one of those. Yeah. It's how big the sun is compared to the earth. The sun is 865,000 miles wide. It's 93 million miles away. And if you think our sun is actually super big, because you can put 1.2 million Earths inside of it, go to our nearest star, Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri is five times larger than our sun. To give you an idea uh, of the size of this vast universe within which we live, let me talk about light speed. Now, how many of you remember how fast light speed is? Anybody? Trivia? Okay. How much? Nope. Okay. 186,000 miles per second. Good. Trivia. You win the trivia award today. Well, this is good, though. We had one person that knew it in the first service. We're good. Um, the moon. That's 211,000 miles away from us, which means if a beam of light was to leave the earth, it takes approximately 1.5 seconds for that beam of light to travel the 211,000 miles and get to the moon. But what would happen if that beam of light continued to travel? Say it was to travel to the next nearest planet, calling Venus. Traveling at 186,000 miles a second, that beam of light would take 2 minutes and 18 seconds to get to Venus. If it continued, it would take a total of 4 minutes and 21 seconds to reach Mars. If it continued at 186,000 miles per second, it would take 35 minutes to reach Jupiter. If it then continued, it would take 1 hour and 11 seconds while traveling at 186,000 miles per second to reach Saturn. And by the way, I haven't even gotten to Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, which by the way is 2.7 billion miles away. And at this point, we have not even left our own solar system. Once you leave our own solar system after you've passed 2.7 billion miles away, the next nearest star is 10 times greater in distance than the size of our solar system itself. The North Star, the bright one we like to look at, the light from the North, or the North Star is 440 billion miles away. And maybe you guys can double check my math on this. I hope I did it right. If I did it right, the light from the North Star takes 27.3 days traveling at 186,000 miles per second to reach us here on this planet. That's big. Now there are planets out there that are even like incredibly bigger, like Betelgeuse. It's 880 quadrillion miles away. The planet itself is bigger than the size of the orbit of the Earth. Now, who made all this? Who made it? Oh, you guys are smarter than first service. Yes, God made it. But God the Father willed it into existence. Jesus the Son before Bethlehem is the one who brought it all into existence. Jesus made all of it. That same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. 
Now, even more amazing than the size of this universe is this. God made the earth the center of his plans for the universe. The Bible tells us that God chose our tiny planet as the center for all of his divine activity. While the earth, as you have seen, is really nothing more than like a speck of dust among the planets, the Bible tells us that God's plan for salvation, not just of us, but for redemption of the universe itself, is all based on what God planned to do through Jesus the Son here on planet earth. The same one who made this vast, unfathomable universe is the one who poured himself completely and fully into human flesh in Mary's womb and then was born as a baby, lived the perfect life, then died on the cross to become sin for us, to pay for sin, not just for us, but to rise to new life, not just paying for sin and destroying it for you and me, but to redeem the entire universe. Do you understand that? The Bible says that one day God, Jesus is gonna create a new heavens and a new earth. And we've studied this, uh, that the new heaven and new earth is actually this heaven and this earth completely remanufactured and stripped free of all the effects of sin. And that can all be done because of what Jesus did on that cross and in the empty tomb. That's the significance of this planet and what Jesus did on it, not just for us, but for the entire vast reaches of the universe itself. Now, one way to understand the centrality of the earth and that this, is, this earth, even though it's tiny and small, is really a big deal for the entire solar system is to look at the account of Genesis. In Genesis, many scientists, they struggle with it. It talks about, you know, creation of light and darkness and then you have the earth being created and then you get to the fourth day where you have the creation of the sun, moon, and stars and Astronomers say, well, this can't be true because you need the sun, moon, and stars to suspend the earth and move it all around. Did you ever think that maybe the reason that the sun, moon, and stars are not created until the fourth day is because the Genesis account starts with most, what's most significant in the universe, which is what will take place on planet earth. And then all the sun, moon, and stars are like put on as accessories by the fourth day, not essential at the beginning. Now, the Bible tells us, as I said earlier, that God the Father willed creation into existence. It was Jesus the Son who carried out the manufacturing of every single thing in creation. And to show you that, I really need to get back into the text. I need to show you what the scripture says. And I'm gonna look at three just key but simple passages. The first one is this, John chapter one, verses one through three, and then also jumping to verse 14. It's this, Jesus is the word who created all things. <clears throat> it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. And by the way, we talk about the word and some people wonder, well, who is this word thing or guy or what is it? Just keep reading. 
when you get to verse 14, John makes it clear who the word is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Who is the word? Jesus. Now, the apostle John, who wrote the gospel of John, was one of the 12 uh, disciples. He was known as the one that Jesus loved. I want you to think for a moment what it must have been like for John when he began to understand the identity of Jesus, the one who was his friend, the one who slept many times in the same room right next to him as the one who placed every single star in the heavens, the one who named every star in the universe, and he fashioned everything out of nothing. John describes it this way. Jesus is the word. The word was with God in the beginning. In other words, he always has existed. The word was with God, yet the word was God, yet the word is distinct from God. And he describes Jesus' role in creation both positively, and then he flips it around and he describes it negatively to emphasize the comprehensiveness of Jesus being the one who made everything that we see. Positively, he says this, through him, all things were made. This word through, in Greek, it's the word dia. It means Jesus is the cause of all things. Jesus is the one who brought all things into existence. Jesus was not the one who was merely a tool used in God the Father's hands. No, what this is saying is Jesus had his own initiative. Jesus used his own creativity to make all things. And to make all things, my friends, out of nothing. Now, he also says about Jesus' creativity and making the universe, he speaks about it negatively to drive home the point. Without him, that is Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Betelgeuse, who is 880 quadrillion miles away, the planet who's even larger than the orbit of the, the Earth's orbit, guess who made it? Jesus. He made it instantly. He made it with his own initiative, with his own creativity. And by the way, yes, he made it out of nothing. Same Jesus who made everything, who he made it all out of nothing, is the one who came into Mary's womb and was born for us to save us from our sin. And not just us, but to be able to enable the remanufacturing of the entire universe itself completely stripped free of sin. Ultimately, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth where heaven and earth itself are combined and God lives among us once again like the Garden of Eden, but only better. Now, while we're on this topic of Jesus being the one creating the universe, and I'll emphasize this again, creating it instantly, creating it out of nothing, we need to wrestle with this idea a little bit. And that is because in science class, our children are taught that there was this primordial muck, this muck that existed. 
And then there was this big bang. And somehow out of this explosion, things began to organize themselves over billions of years. And that's how we ended up how we are today. And many well-meaning people try to harmonize what they believe is what the Bible says and what science says. And so they say, well, obviously there is this muck out there. Jesus was the one who did the Big Bang. And Jesus was the one who organized things over billions of years. And I'm sorry to tell you, that is not biblically true. It is completely inaccurate. The Bible says everything was created by Jesus instantly and nothing existed before Jesus created it. He created it out of nothing. And when he created it, by the way, he created the universe with the appearance of age. Let me show you some scripture just to help you understand. Psalm 33, verse six, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Who's the word? We just learned in John chapter one. Jesus, Jesus made the heavens. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Who made all the stars? Jesus. By, he did it by speaking the word. That's all he did. He spoke and they were created out of nothing. And you look at this, you go a little further in Psalm 33. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Jesus spoke and things came into existence that did not exist. Not reorganizing matter that already existed. And in case you wonder if I'm right about this, let's get more detailed on this. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, which is Jesus. We learned that. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Do you understand? There is no primordial muck. Jesus spoke and things were created out of nothing instantly and completely with the appearance of age. There was nothing. Jesus spoke and it existed. Let me show you. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Now, what was before light? Nothing. Nothing. He spoke, and light came into existence. That's how it took place. Now, I know many of you struggle with this, but the Bible is very clear about this. There is no primordial mook. There is no kind of uh, junk that God organizes. Jesus spoke, and things were created. Now, I want to illustrate that for you, not just from the Old Testament, but I like to go to the New Testament. Because the same Jesus who created the world in the Old Testament times is the one who existed and came and took on flesh in the New Testament times. Now, many of you have been here when we preached through the Gospel of Mark. Now, some of you are like, yeah, the Gospel of Mark took forever to preach through. It was a good book. One of my favorite things about the Gospel is we studied those miracles that Jesus did and we studied them in depth. One of the first miracles he does in Mark chapter one, verse 40, was the healing of the leper. Remember what we learned about leprosy? Leprosy, all my parts are falling off, can't you see? Leprosy, people lose their fingers. They lose their toes. 
their noses fall off their face. Their ears fall off the side of their head. Remember I showed you pictures of lepers. Google it if you want to check me out. It's a terrible disfiguring disease. Jesus comes along, speaks the word and heals the leper. Instantly, fingers return to hands. Noses return to faces. Ears instantly reappeared on the side of people's heads. Didn't take like years of healing or billions of years of evolution. Jesus created it all instantly out of nothing and those fingers and toes and noses had the proper appearance of the age of the person when he did it. Remember when you, Gospel of Mark, we looked at the man who was born blind, eyes disfigured in his head, never seen a thing in his life. Jesus spoke the word instantly, not in a long period of time, Instantly, the man's eyes were completely reformed and he could see at the word of Jesus. That's how powerful Jesus' words are. Or my favorite one of all was the man who was deaf and mute. The man had never heard a word because he couldn't hear. The man had never spoken a word because his tongue was not able to do those things. And Jesus comes along and Jesus heals him with his word and he cannot just hear for the first time, instantly hearing is created. And speak as instantly his tongue is recreated. But the Bible tells us, and we study this, that Jesus planted in his mind the ability to understand the Aramaic language he had never heard before. And the ability to speak that language which he had never spoken before. Jesus instantly created that in his brain. Boy, that would have been a better way to learn Spanish. Isn't that what Jesus does? He creates things instantly, out of nothing, and with the proper appearance of age, merely at his word. Now, you doubt that he creates things with the appearance of age back in Genesis? Think about Adam and Eve. We know that they were formed of the dust of the ground and God breathed into them. How old were they when they were created? Two Six months, they were fully formed adults when they were created. That means they have the appearance of age. And if he created Adam and Eve that way with the appearance of age, why wouldn't he have created all the rest of the universe with the appearance of age? That's the way Jesus creates things. Now, let's move on to the next uh, text. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus is the creator of all things. And Paul just reemphasizes what John says. For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And Paul says, all manner of life in the universe, no matter where it is found, no matter what qualities it possesses, owes its origins exclusively and completely to Jesus Christ who created all things. But there's a different twist here in this passage than in John. Because John was really focusing on the physical matter of the universe. But Paul moves beyond the physical matter and talks about the spiritual realities of the universe, whether things that are visible or invisible, the vast angelic realm, Jesus created that too. 
Notice how he talks about whether thrones or powers or dominions or rulers or authorities. Jesus created all those things. As you study these things, what you learn is those are rabbinic titles used for different ranks and orders of angels that were used by the rabbis in the first century. Just so you know, angels are not one size fits all. We studied them this past summer. You remember, there's different kinds of angels and different roles for those angels and different powers of angels. And just like when somebody works in a factory and there's a head of the factory and there's different people of different ranks and orders in the factories and there's line workers in the factories, they're organized. Angels are organized in the same way, whether they're God's angels or whether they're Satan's angels called demons. Now, what was going on in Colossae is there was an excitement on worship of angels. And Jesus had sort of been demoted. People were saying, well, he's just another one of those spiritual beings, just like another one of the angels. And Paul comes along and says, absolutely not. Let me tell you, we worship Jesus alone because Jesus is the one who created all the angels. He is far above all the angels. Yes, that is the same Jesus who humbled himself to pour all of himself into humanity in Mary's womb, to be born to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he restrained his divinity so he could experience all the full effects of our humanity, all of our suffering. He hungered, he thirsted, he experienced agony on the cross, so he could become sin for us, to die for us, to save us once and for all. Isn't it amazing what Jesus has done? Now, Paul also says uh, this universe was not just created by Jesus, but he says this universe was ultimately created for Jesus. The purpose of the entire universe is to give glory, honor, and praise to Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's your purpose too. Your purpose and my purpose is to live to bring glory and honor to Jesus in the way we live and in what we do, no matter what we face. Now, as Christians, we give praise to Jesus. We give that praise willingly and joyfully because he is our Savior. But I want you to know that even though we bow the knee willingly, everyone will bow the knee eventually. The scriptures are very clear. Speaking about the resurrected Jesus and the role that he will play. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the purpose of creation. Everyone confesses Jesus as Lord, the creator of all things. Now let's take you to the the next passage, Hebrews chapter 1 where we learn that Jesus is the creator of time itself. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he created the world. The goal of the writer of Hebrews is to demonstrate the vast superiority of Jesus Christ compared to anything God has done for us in the past. Like in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets and we know that the prophets spoke God's very words to us which is an amazing thing, which is why the Old Testament is profitable for us today. But yet, God spoke his words to us through creatures. Now with Jesus, God has spoken his words to us through the creator itself, or himself. Jesus is that much better. And then we see this, through whom he made the universe. There's an interesting word here, this word universe. It doesn't always have to be translated universe. It's another way to translate it would be ages, through whom he made the ages. In other words, Jesus is the one who created time itself. Now, you guys who like physics, I know you smart guys, you know, you, you know that time space and matter, there's all interrelationship between all three of those. You know, if you go fast enough, you approach infinite mass. And then if you actually were to go fast enough, you could actually go back in time because they're all created and related together. Makes sense because Jesus made all of those things. That's why they're all connected together. The same Jesus who was in that manger. The same Jesus who came to die for us to save us, but not just us, to make possible the redemption of the vast universe from the curse of sin itself. Now, I like the way that David writes this. Let's jump to Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? After understanding the vast number of stars in the universe, the vast size of this incredible universe, David says, how is it possible that the one who created all of this cares about you and me? What's even more impossible to comprehend is beyond the vast size of this universe is Jesus' love for you is even greater than the size of the universe itself. Do you understand that? That is how much he loves you, that he intentionally came and took on sin to die for you and to save you. Today, I do not know how badly you have messed up your life. I do not know how terrible and ugly is your sin. I do not know what sin you are struggling with in the present. But I do know this, that the same Jesus who made the universe became a baby in the universe to save you because he loves you more than you could ever begin to get your mind around. Today, if you will turn to Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive your sin, I don't care what you have done. 
in all the amazingness of Jesus' love, he will completely forgive you and make you into a new person. And as you delight in him and walk with him, not because you have to, but because you want to, Jesus will sustain you until he brings you home to heaven because we are completely and totally saved by him, not just created by him. Now, we've seen that Jesus is the creator of every single thing in the universe. But even more amazing is Jesus is the sustainer of life itself. So Jesus sustains the universe. Everything in the universe owes its continuing existence to the will and the power of Jesus. Understand this, without Jesus, the entire universe, our planet, and yes, every single one of our lives would instantly collapse into chaos. The Bible tells us that Jesus did not just create the universe and wind it up like a watch and then walk away hoping it would be okay on its own. But no, no, the difference is that right now, Jesus is actively involved sustaining every single thing in the universe, moving everything in the universe towards God's appointed goal and direction. And to understand this, we need to understand the incredible intricacies and the balance of our planet. And in many ways, this is what has led to a lot of the climate alarmists that we hear in the news today. (coughs) For instance, the surface of the sun is burning currently right now at a temperature of about 12,000 degrees. And there's become great realization that if we were just a little bit closer as a planet, every single thing on the earth would burn up. If we were just a little bit further away, every single thing would freeze that our planet right now is currently tilted at 23 degrees exactly. If it was a little straighter, what would happen is the uh, excess heat around the poles would cause the um, water to vaporize. That would eventually end up on the north and the south pole, covering those top and the bottom of our planet completely and totally with ice. If the moon was just a little bit closer, the gravitational pull of the moon for the tides would actually cause the oceans to flood large quantities of the earth multiple times each day. If the ocean floors were just one foot deeper across the planet, that would be enough to upset the oxygen and carbon dioxide balance, destroying all life on the planet. In fact, our planet is a very delicately balanced thing. That it would seem, if you could just get it out of whack and it wouldn't take much, it would seem that all life would be destroyed on the planet, which is what has led this growing realization to so many climate activists out there. Well, I want to ask you, who is the one who maintains this delicate balance on our planet to sustain life every day? Jesus. Folks, it's not us. It's Jesus who sustains and maintains the planet. As I said, um, we have so many people who are saying all kinds of crazy things. Like if we don't stop using cars in the next 10 years, we're all gonna die because of global warming. I don't know if you saw this. There's even a, a guy who was out there this past week calling for the voluntary extinction of the human race so that we would be able to maintain the planet rather than destroy the planet. Now, by the way, I'm not for pollution. Uh, I'm not for being a bad steward of the planet at all. I'm just going to tell you, we are not going to be able to destroy it because Jesus is the one who is maintaining it 
and he is the one who is sustaining the planet, bringing it to God's appointed purpose. There's nothing we can do to change that. And to prove that, I want to talk to you farmers. You farmers, you had some nice rain this past year, right? And you were able to get a nice crop this past year. Who gave you that rain? Did we mess it up so you couldn't get any? Jesus gave you the rain, didn't he? Jesus gave you the crop. He's the one who in his grace has sustained you. So what makes us think that if we mess it up a little bit, we're all going to ruin you? Now, let's look a little bit further in this. Colossians 1.17. It says, in Jesus, all things hold together. Colossians 1.16 was about Jesus being the creator. Colossians 1.17 is about Jesus being the sustainer. He is before all things, it says, and in him all things hold together. Let's also go to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It says here, Jesus is also the sustainer of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now this word uphold, it's a little bit uh, unique. It's, uh, some translations say he sustains the universe by the word of his power. The Greek word is rather specific in its meaning. It does not mean that Jesus provides passive support, like he just watches and every once in a while throws in a hand. It does not mean that he provides maintenance support, like he puts in the oil and the grease to make sure it keeps running. It means that he is constantly and actively involved in all things, moving them towards their God-appointed purpose. That's exactly what it means when it says he sustains the universe by his power. Now, here's the good news, folks. If Jesus cares enough about this universe to sustain it and maintain it and move it to its God-appointed purpose, he cares enough about you. He will sustain you. He will maintain you and keep you going until you've achieved your God-appointed purpose. Isn't that good to know? Sometimes we have unexpected things happen in our life. Like maybe there's an unexpected pregnancy and an unexpected child. And we say, well, I wasn't expecting this. God says, I'm totally expecting this. In fact, I have a purpose for this. And I have a plan for this child. And this child I'm going to maintain and sustain and move it to its God-appointed purpose to bring honor and glory to me. Isn't that good to know? That God has his hand sustaining our life let me just dive into that a little bit here at the end. Jesus sustains his people. So he's not just sustaining this planet. As I'm saying, he's sustaining us. You wonder, how does he do that? Where do we see that? And the best way I think I wanted to describe that was simply going by the Old Testament. Going to the Old Testament and seeing how God sustained the Old Testament people. You know that when his people were in the land of Egypt, that the Pharaoh decided to destroy them and kill them. And Jesus is the one who rescued them out of the land of Egypt. And then Jesus sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness wandering. In the desert, thousands of people with no food, with no water, Jesus sustained them every day until he brought the next generation into the promised land. Look what the scripture says. 
1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate (coughs) the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Twice the Israelites, while in the wilderness wanderings, drank from a rock, where water came out of a rock. Once at the beginning of their wanderings in Exodus 17, once at the end of their 40 years of wanderings in Numbers chapter 20. But the interesting part is the Greek tense is an imperfect continual tense when it says they drank. Jesus is not just the one who provided water to sustain his people at the beginning of their walk and at the end of their walk in the wilderness, but he provided water all the way throughout their 40 years in the wilderness. In other words, he made sure they were places where they could get water when they needed water so he could sustain them in the midst of adversity. Now, we go to the Gospel of John. You can also find out about the fact they needed food. In fact, they needed this thing called manna six days a week. God provided it. They could just go out and pick it up. It's bread of heaven. Who is the one who gave them manna every morning? Jesus, to sustain them. You go to the Gospel of John when we preached through that a couple of years ago. We looked at the fact they were led by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to guide them. Who was leading them and guiding them? Jesus, that same cloud that protected them from Pharaoh's army, Jesus protecting and sustaining his people, bringing them to the promised land. And then you get to the end of this and you find out that for 40 years, they're still wearing the same pair of sneakers. For 40 years, they're still wearing the same pair of jeans. And for some reason, after walking in the desert for 40 years, they did not need a retread. Look what it says here. I led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothing had not worn out on you and your sandals had not worn off your feet. Who sustained their shoes? Jesus! Jesus is the one who sustains his people, bringing them towards their goal. Folks, he will sustain us until we have fulfilled the purpose for which he has ordained our life. He's the one who provides our daily bread. He's the one who provides our daily needs because he loves you. Folks, we see that when it was in the wilderness, you know, Jesus was the one who saved his people out of Egypt when they were facing certain physical death. Then Jesus sustained them for 40 years in the desert by providing water and bread and endurance of their shoes. And then he brought them eventually to the promised land, which is their home. You know why Jesus took on a body in Bethlehem? So he could save us from a greater thing than death in Egypt. He could save us from eternal damnation in the lake of fire. You know what he's doing right now? As we stay with him, he sustains our faith in him and he sustains our relationship with God every day as he sustains our, not just physical life, but our spiritual life. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's gonna bring us home to our promised land, which is being with him forever in heaven 
and on the new creation. Boy, we have an amazing Jesus in the manger. The creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the creator and sustainer of our life with God itself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us such an amazing and good Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being so big. It's so easy for us to view you as small when we think of just another baby born in a manger. But you're so much more than just a baby. Thank you for creating and sustaining all things. Thank you for being the one who creates spiritual life and makes possible forgiveness of sin and the one who will sustain us every day physically and sustain us in our relationship with you as we walk and depend upon you and your amazing grace. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.